0: Today, from the global lane, food used as a weapon for submission. China makes its move to control agriculture in Africa.
1: Food is power. We need to remember that and this is very dangerous for the United States.
0: Urgent prayer requested as Syrian Druze kidnap a Christian pastor, threaten to execute him and destroy churches.
2: He is married and he has a daughter, a one-year-old daughter. But we are waiting for heaven, we are waiting for the Lord God Almighty to interfere on his behalf and release him.
0: First the book and now the premiere of the great American movie, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters.
3: Daughters don't want another friend, they want a role model, they want somebody to teach them how to set boundaries.
0: And in Pakistan, riot victims receive compensation for destroyed and damaged homes. My commentary on what needs to be done to protect Christians from unceasing attacks. And it's all right here on The Global Lane. Remember how the Sudanese government used food as a weapon to starve southern Sudanese Christians into accepting radical Islam? Well, that occurred in the 1990s and early 2000s. But what would happen today if a hostile government seized control of your country's food supply? Would you relent and submit to Satan to avoid starvation? Well, our next guest has a warning for the world. Communist China is gradually moving in to control the agricultural industry in Africa. Kip Tom is former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations Agencies for Food and Agriculture. Ambassador Tom, it's a pleasure to talk with you on this troubling topic. And we know 10 million children are suffering from malnutrition in the Horn of Africa alone. Is any relief in sight for them as China moves to invest and control crops in Africa?
1: I would say the answer is no. I mean, I look at uh, the humanitarian side of this, what the World Food Program is doing, and last year they had a budget of nearly $14 billion. This year, from what I understand, it's going to be closer to $5 billion. So if that's the case, uh, no, we're not going to be solving hunger anytime soon anywhere in a continent of Africa or the Middle East or Southeast Asia or uh, Central America. The reality is uh, we tend to go in, the United States is, goes in with capacity and compassion, and gives the humanitarian aid through the World Food Program and a lot of other organizations. But uh, the reality is, the Chinese Communist Party goes in through every country in Africa, investing in infrastructure and other projects and actually capturing the country's uh, abilities of, or excuse me, natural resources. But their ultimate goal is to have Africa be the breadbasket for the country of China to feed their 1.4 billion people.
0: Well, what specifically then is China doing to make Africa its food basket? What what specifically are they doing?
1: Well, I think there's a a number of elements that China's exercising. One is they go in, as I said, they build these uh, death spirals. Uh, You may have one country or many of the countries across Africa take a World Bank loan out for building bridges, roads, uh, dams, any kind of infrastructure you can imagine, and then they default or can't make the payment China comes in and buys that debt out for a minimal amount, and then the country is beholden to them, and uh, they usually get natural resources and other uh, uh, elements of what the country can offer to them to support the Chinese Communist Party and the needs of the people of China. So you, you go into Africa, and you see it firsthand, what's going on. I mean, you go into the, the capital of uh, well, it's Zimbabwe, uh, Harare, you go there, The Chinese, uh, you'll see a sign on every street corner. Every street uh, vendor is is Chinese. They've displaced the African workforce. They got cameras on every street corner. Uh, We've seen that everywhere. We also see uh, China coming in and building uh, military uh, installations in Dejabuti, uh, South Africa as well. So uh, China wants to seize control of the continent of Africa. And it's not about the mining and the critical minerals. It's about agricultural productivity.
0: Well, you mentioned that uh, South Africa, China President Xi Jinping was in South Africa this week, strengthening his ties with that country at the BRICS conference. Also, Chinese officials this week visited Nigeria to meet with that country's leadership. And of course, in recent years, you mentioned this, China has aggressively courted and influenced numerous African countries to work food, trade and investment deals. So what does that mean for the United States and the world?
1: Well, I think, you know, one thing that COVID uh, exposed to us as well as the Ukrainian war was the supply chains that were critical to the United States in producing food, fiber, and energy. When you look at a nation's power, it's based upon uh, four critical elements, uh, economic, military, diplomatic, and informational. I will add two other elements to that, and that is food and energy. And when you look at Africa, the... Uh, China is looking at that, and they want to capture the ability to produce food, get the energy production that they need for their own nation, and that's why they're so focused. They want to deal with, they want to get away from dealing with the United States. Period.
0: Well, I know they're even moving into the U.S. Here. I mean, we've seen them buy up some
1: farmland. What is that risk? That's a significant risk. I think we're going to be dealing out with in a very short order, whether it's on the federal level and state level, is already working on it. Uh, the reality is I'm more concerned about uh, the Chinese Communist Party and uh, different elements of the country coming in and buying companies that uh, hold intellectual property that's been developed here in the United States. That once they buy that company, uh, they can then convert that intellectual property that we've worked on here in the United States and the research and development. And move that over into china and benefit themselves at a very low cost so i'm more concerned about their investments in our country taking companies to get the intellectual property
0: and and back to the food though if they control food the food supply and food markets around the world how dangerous is that for the american people
1: food is power we need to remember that and this is very dangerous for the united states that one of the warnings i would I would offer to the United States is uh, let's make sure that we have a regulatory environment that lets us onshore more of our critical building blocks uh, to produce food, fiber, and energy. That would be replacing, uh, for instance, fertilizer that comes from Russia or Belarus or, or China or critical components to build the crop care products that we, we protect our crops with from insects and, and weeds and other diseases that come out of China. So the United States, uh, this is a wake-up call. And we could be a food power and we could use it in a manner that benefits the United States, but our friends and allies around the world. Well, there's a lot Congress could do about it, right?
0: Absolutely. Okay, former U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Agencies for Food and Agriculture, Kip Tom, thank you for sharing your time and insights. We appreciate it.
1: I appreciate your time today and your audiences. Thank you.
0: An urgent call to prayer for the persecuted church in Syria. We've just learned that a young pastor was kidnapped by members of the Druze community this past weekend. They're threatening to execute him and destroy a network of churches in the area. Well, joining us by phone is a local pastor from Syria familiar with this latest crisis facing the Syrian church. In order to protect his identity, we will refer to him as Pastor David. So, Pastor David, please explain the situation. Who is this pastor? Where is he being held? And why was he kidnapped?
2: Uh, he was kidnapped by, uh, by the uh, instruction of the elders of the Druze community on Saturday evening. And they kidnapped him, accusing him of uh, brainwashing the mind of the Druze people because many of them are coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is married and he has a daughter, a one-year-old daughter. And uh, uh, so he has a a, a small family uh, that depend on him, that need him. And he also shepherds many, many people, uh, and he helped in many churches throughout Syria. He's a young man of God, and he is dedicated to serve the Lord. Uh, he's 27 years old, and he travels all over the country bringing the message of hope to his broken people. And he has a pure heart. He has dedicated heart to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we were going to ordain him officially as a pastor next month. But then he was kidnapped. Perhaps Satan knows that this mighty man of God is going to be a powerful tool for the kingdom in Syria. And that's why Satan took him.
0: This seems a bit out of character for the Druze community to do this. So does this surprise you? Usually when you hear of these types of kidnappings and threats, they come from radical Sunni groups like ISIS or Shiites like Hezbollah.
2: Yes, it is out of character for them. And, And the reason is because there's a complete economic collapse in the region so they are going uh, hungry they are uprising for the past 10 days against the government because they cannot continue to live anymore because they don't have food they don't have electricity they have no hope and because of the economic collapse when they kidnapped him the first request they ask for they ask us to pay a ransom of 4 billion Syrian pound. So they're asking for a ransom for 4 billion Syrian pound. If we sell the church, we will not make that much money to pay them for his release. And the economic hardship is driving them to do this. And they're using the religion as an excuse to gain money and take advantage of the situation. So yes, it is outside of their character and that's why we are appealing to the elders of the Druze community. We wanna tell, we wanna speak directly to the elders to reconsider what you are doing. Do not kill an innocent man. He's an innocent man. Do not kill him, for what? If you kill him, your situation will not be solved. If you kill this innocent man, it's not gonna bring food to your table and feed your children. Do not make that mistake. He is not your enemy. The Christian is not your enemy. Jesus Christ is not your enemy. We're not your enemy. We, he are, we are here to love you. We are here to stand with you. We feel your pain. We feel what you are going through. But killing an innocent pastor will not bring solution to your problem, your economic problem. So please release him. Okay, how should
0: we pray? What else can we do?
2: No matter what Satan does, he will not win at the end. But we also want the church in the West to pray with us, to pray for this young man and for his family, pray for his release, because we believe that God can do miracles. And we believe that God loves him. And uh, Satan has a plan to destroy him and to destroy the church in Syria. But in Jesus' name, Satan will not win. Pray also that he will be, not be affected by this kidnapping, but he will become much stronger than before and proclaim the gospel of the truth in Syria and in the Middle East. So please pray with us for Brother Jacob. This time is a very important time. And we believe that there's still time for us to continue to pray for His release. We don't know yet. We are still waiting to hear what will happen, if they will actually execute Him or not. But we are waiting for heaven. We are waiting for the Lord God Almighty to interfere on His behalf and release Him and not to be executed in Jesus' name.
0: Afraid of phone calls? A new report from CBS News reveals that nine out of 10 members of Gen Z prefer texting rather than talking on the phone because talking on the phone causes them anxiety. They say they'd rather text because it takes less effort than calling and having a conversation. What can parents, especially fathers, do to help their daughters overcome phone call phobia? How can dads help create strong, engaging daughters? Well, Dr. Meg Meeker is author of the book, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. It's also a film currently streaming on Pure Flix and premiering this week on Great American Family. So, Dr. Meeker, many dads find it difficult to relate and help navigate their daughters through the teen years. So what should dads do to help their daughters overcome their anxieties about having in-person discussions and phone conversations?
3: Yeah, well... First of all, thanks for having me. I think a lot of the anxiety for fathers comes because they believe they're going to mess up or they believe they need to understand their daughter's mind in order to help them. And that's not true at all. I think that what fathers need to do is rather than focus on how they perceive themselves as a dad, try to figure out how their daughter sees them. And that's what I did in my Strong Father, Strong Daughters book is to let fathers know, here's how your daughter sees you. It's much better than the way you see yourself. Um, Here's what your daughter needs and wants from you. And it's much simpler than you think it would be. And so I think that once dads can see how their daughters see them, a lot of that anxiety goes away because they take a lot of the burden off their shoulders to be something their daughters really don't need them to be.
0: Well, it seems like a lot of younger fathers want to be their daughter's friend rather than their parents. So how can dads act tough without creating distance in the relationship?
3: Well, I think that you're absolutely right. First of all, friends don't give a lot of daughters what they really need. And daughters know that. Daughters don't want another friend. They want a role model. They want somebody to teach them how to set boundaries. They want somebody who's going to teach them how to say no to a boy or how to stand up for themselves. A peer will not teach that to them. And they know that. So it's very important for a father to realize that he's the most important man in his daughter's life. He's not the most important boy. He is the one who's going to show her how to be treated by a male, whether it's a teacher, brother, or a husband, Um, what male love looks like, how is it healthy, how should she be expected to be talked to or touched, um, and what is God the Father like? You know, a peer, a male peer, cannot teach a daughter a teenage girl what god the father is like because he doesn't know what a father is like he's not a dad but a dad is a dad well
0: i was going to ask you then fathers have to be strong before they can raise up strong daughters so what role does faith play in a daughter's spiritual development
3: well it's enormous and we have so many studies to show that when a daughter develops a strong faith in God. She's far less likely to get into trouble, drugs, depression, alcohol, anxiety, you know, premarital sex, and so forth. And that having a faith in God safeguards a girl from a lot of things. Not completely because, you know, maybe her she doesn't want a faith or she rejects her father, or so forth. But it's important for fathers to realize they're the doorway to God. They're the one who shows a daughter what fatherhood is about. Is he good or is he bad? Is he mean? Is he kind? Is he loving? Is he strong? Is he weak? And so that's what the father has to model in order to, if you will, get his daughter to God. And the movie,
0: Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, it premieres this week on Great American Media. Tell us about it. Are there several situations from the book portrayed in the movie and how does it differ from the book?
3: Yes. Well, the book has a lot more stories, and the book, of course, you know, is 200-and-some pages, and the movie's an hour and a half long, Um, but it really follows the principles of the book quite well. It shows a dad who's going down the wrong path and has to change course because um, his, his, his values aren't aligned with God's. And, and then they show another man who's a great mentor to him, a biblical mentor. There's a terrific scene in there, my favorite scene, where the daughter has gone to a party. One of the daughters gone to a party. Parents didn't want her to go. She goes in there, it's filled with teenagers and drinking and all this kind of stuff. Dad finds out she's at the party, gets in his car, drives to the party, walks in the door, goes and finds his daughter amidst all of her friends and says, you're coming home with me. He walks her out, she's mortified, gets in the van, all her friends laugh, but as she drives away, you know she was the one who had a dad who loved her and who would in very short order realize how much her dad loved her because he stuck his neck out for her and he was a dad that was gonna win her heart.
0: Okay, the book is Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. The movie is out on Great America Media this week. Dr. Meg Meeker, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you.
3: Thank you so much.
0: As Americans suffered tragic loss of life and property due to historic wildfires in Maui, Christians in Pakistan fell victim to intentional fires set by militant Muslims in the Jaranwala colony of Feslabad. Muslims were angered by the alleged tearing of some pages of a Koran by two Christians. Christian villagers fled for their lives as the radicals went on a rampage, setting fire to churches, homes, and businesses. Nearly 100 structures were damaged or destroyed. Afterwards, Christians staged a protest, demanding justice. This Christian woman said incidents like this one occur frequently. We've always sought peace, she said. The woman asked of the government, for the love of God provide justice to the Christian community to ensure their right to live. In a rare move, the Pakistani government responded, gathered the Christian victims together, and gave each homeowner the equivalent of $6,800 to rebuild and repair their houses. Here's the caretaker Prime Minister of Pakistan, Anwar El haq Kakar.
2: We will never condone the persecutors. If anyone goes for persecution of any sort of community, the prosecution would follow them. We will stand shoulder to shoulder with our brothers, with our sisters, the one who are victims.
0: Bravo, Mr. Caretaker Prime Minister. $6,800 goes a long way in Pakistan. That's a positive step. Also, authorities have arrested many of the perpetrators. However, during previous incidents, those arrested were eventually set free. We'll see if they're tried and convicted this time. That will prove this government's commitment to justice. This response is welcomed and appropriate, but what is truly needed is an aggressive and sincere effort to abolish Pakistan's archaic blasphemy law. Since the law was tightened in the mid-1980s, more than 1,500 Christians, Muslims, and others have been sent to prison on charges of blasphemy. Historian Professor Gulshan Barakat of the National Catholic Institute of Theology, Karachi, explains the injustice of the blasphemy law.
1: Most of those, most of the, 100% of those uh, cases were false, falsely accused, and uh, maybe they wanted to grab the land, uh, they wanted to
0: chase out uh, the Christian community from the area. The law is often used to settle personal disputes or to grab land. Folks, more incidents like the burning of homes, churches, and businesses in Jaranwala are likely to occur until Pakistan, which, by the way, considers itself a democratic nation, abolishes the blasphemy law once and for all. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Rumble. And until next time, be blessed.